Good to see each of you as we come for this day of worship. And if you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and hope that you will feel very much a part of what we're doing here and want to come back to worship with us again on uh, lots of uh, future occasions. You will notice around the uh, church some flyers posted around about the um, call for all women to come together for a, a prayer Call to Prayer and Self-Denial, which is an annual event sponsored by the UMW. This is going to be at 11 o'clock on February the 1st in the Social Hall. And Ruth Waters McWhite will be the speaker. Uh, she is the Dean of Women at North Greenville University. So we make you uh, ladies aware of this special event and invite you to be present. Sunday night events continue, as you see in your bulletin, uh, for children with choirs and education. And um, I believe we also have Katie coming now to make a, give us a word on the special events coming up in the next few weeks. Good morning. I just wanted to um, make everyone aware that our Make-A-Swish fundraiser, the basketball fundraiser that our mission kids do, is coming up in just a few short weeks. It's going to be on Sunday, February the 6th, and the kids will be up here with me next week to give you some more information, but I just wanted to give you a week to think about what you may like to pledge to support the kids in this um, fundraiser for the South Carolina School of the Deaf and Blind. And also, at the table in the narthex, we are selling our cheerful hearts midwinter dinner tickets. They are again $10 and that's coming up also in just a few weeks on Sunday, February the 13th. Thank you. Now Beverly, who was it that you sponsored last time in the Make a Swish and he, and he about made you broke? Okay, alright, so we won't, we'll have to watch out for Andrew. He's the hot shot uh, basketball shooter, huh? Okay. Um, I want you to, to, to know some interesting news, and that is that uh, uh, our youth director, who is also the pastor out at uh, Slater United Methodist Church, has begun his formal education for the ministry. As I told the first service, that means that last night they tried a tuxedo on him. Come on, people, formal education. <clears throat> Hello out there. Anyway, he has... Um, he has started his formal education. He goes twice a month to Atlanta to uh, Emory University Candler School of Theology taking courses as he um, makes progress in our course of study uh, toward the ministry. And so um, lots of tires are going to be worn out and lots of hard work is going to be done. But remember Andy as he begins this very significant work and uh, continues his work here with us as well. Let us now begin our time together in worship. <clears throat>
let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, Last week, the children's sermon was uh, done by Peggy Smith, who was doing her imitation of Robbie Septon. Today, Robbie Septon is returning the favor and doing his imitation of Peggy. So we invite the children to come forward to join us for a few moments of sharing. <coughs> Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Good looking group today. Have Have any of you ever played the game Follow the Leader? Yes. You have? So you, everybody knows the rules. So if we play Follow the Leader up here, we're going to stay right here. But if we play Follow the Leader, everybody knows how to do it? Okay. All right. Really easy. I'm the leader. You follow me. Whatever I do, you do. Okay? We'll start. Everything else, that's kind of universal bait. 
Our Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 9, verses uh, 1 through 4. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 27 on page 758 and 59. I invite you to stand as you are able as we share together this passage of scripture responsively. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes shall stumble and fall. One thing I ask of the Lord, and that will I seek after. The Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and will set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies round about me, and I will also sacrifice my 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Cast me not off, save me not, O God, my salvation. If my father and mother should forsake me, the Lord would take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. For what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for the good stories from the Bible that remind us of what life can be like. What life can be like when we remember who our leader is and when we follow his example. We are grateful that we can have a taste of the kingdom of God on earth even now, even before the kingdom is consummated here on earth, even before we leave this plane of existence to live in eternity. It's wonderful to come together to this place of worship and praise and to see the friendly faces and the warm embrace and the handshake to encourage us in our walk with Jesus day by day. We can only imagine what it's going to be like to be in that place where it is always the kingdom of God, that it is always a place where your love is shown and your glory is revealed. And so we're grateful for these little occasions to come and taste of that future goodness. And we pray that we would be mindful of the fact that Jesus said to us that your kingdom would, would be in us, in our hearts now, living within us day by day. So we pray that we, we might be mindful of the fact that our king has come and has given his life for us and has bidden us to follow him in all of our, our lives, through all the days of our lives. And we pray that we might put that into practice every day so that indeed there might be others around us who see what life can be like and who come to find new life in Christ Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, that what we've done yesterday is not nearly as important to you as what you might do in us and through us tomorrow. And we're thankful for your new life and new beginnings and promise of your walking with us in life. We remember, Lord, our friends this day who cannot be here even though they would like to be because of illness or injury to their bodies. We pray for these, our friends, as we call them by name in our hearts, as we lift them up to you for your touch of healing virtue this day. And we remember others, Lord, who are going through difficult times, who find themselves in the shadow of death, living in darkness because they've lost their way walking alone without you. We pray for them that they might turn to you and be found. And others who go through times of discouragement or fear or grief, we bring these to you in our hearts in prayer as well, knowing that you are the great healer of our emotions, the comforter of us when we are in times of pain and in times of fear. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Facilitator please. <clears throat> like many of you, I had never heard that song until I went to my previous congregation. We had a nine o'clock service in that previous congregation where they chose the hymns. We didn't come with a bulletin, people raised their hands. We sang that hymn every Sunday. No exaggeration, it was uh, real popular with the children. So we sang it every Sunday. So I learned it the first year I was there and think it does have a real beauty to it. I wanna thank Robbie for his, his, he made me think this morning. Um, I gotta go home and decide now, am I the fisherman or am I the bait? <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's a good question. How do we catch fish for the Lord? Maybe I've been thinking wrong. Maybe he's holding the pole and we're supposed to be the bait on the hook. That's a, that's a good thought. Our uh, lesson is again Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Here ends the lesson. Most of us preachers remember all too well the early days of our ministries when we were still learning how to do the research for our sermons, deciding on what points that we want to make, and then working to find adequate illustrations and stories to communicate the gospel with our congregations. It is a process that, quite frankly, very few of us ever master. And let me say it this way, very few of them ever master. And lots of us never get very good at it. I did hear about one preacher who was trying to tell his congregation one day of his burning desire to preach the gospel. And he says, for years, I wanted to preach so badly. When he got home, his wife said, well, today you succeeded. That was a bad sermon. Uh, Jesus was the Son of God, but you know he emptied himself out when he came to earth, according to scripture. He put on our human flesh and therefore 
Amazing as it is to think about, he had to learn how to walk and how to talk, how to feed himself. He had to learn his one, two, threes, and ABCs, or whatever letters one has to learn in the Hebrew language. He learned how to build cabinets with his earthly father. He had to learn how to get along with others. There were other siblings in that home. He went to the synagogue to learn the Bible and how to express its truths and apply it to his life. When he turned age 30, he had to learn how to speak in public, to communicate his ideas in ways that others would understand. In short, Jesus, just like preachers today, had to learn how to preach. That's what the incarnation means. Jesus, like all humans, had to learn life's lessons. It's interesting to, interesting to me that Jesus seemed to be holding back after he was baptized by John. He didn't immediately begun, begin his preaching at that time. He must have stayed in Jerusalem after his baptism for a short while because we are told that it was only after John was arrested that Jesus returned to Galilee to begin preaching. The New Revised Standard Version of the Bible says that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. There's a, a word that means that he retreated. It was a strategic withdrawal from a place of relative danger close to Herod, to a much safer place north of Jerusalem. The text implies that Jesus went by his old home in Nazareth for a brief stay, perhaps to say goodbye to his family, before he left there and relocated a bit further to the north, further away from Herod in Capernaum. And that's what Jesus made the center of his his operation and his new home, and it's where he preached his first sermon. John's imprisonment left a huge void in the lives of John's disciples and for all the people of Israel. It was a void that Jesus felt called to fill. The message translation of the Bible ties Jesus' message to John's when it translates verse 17 this way. Jesus picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. Jesus' message, you see, was the same as John's. I don't know if exactly why he did that. Some of my first sermons were good copies. How about you, Woody? Uh, my friend back there, did you copy some of your fellow preacher's sermons? Uh, but um, Jesus started where John left off. If Jesus was hoping to fill the void in people's lives, he certainly went about doing it the best way possible. He repeated a message they'd heard before. And I can imagine that almost immediately John's audience breathed a sigh of relief. They'd found a new pastor who knew what they needed to hear. And the energy that had been a part of John's movement began to be transferred to the movement Jesus started. Matthew tells us that the fact that Jesus began his preaching in Capernaum was in direct fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, 
Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I find that phrase, the land of the shadow of death, to be a very fascinating one. The psalmist, you know, talked about the valley of the shadow of death. And as much as I hate to disappoint you folks, I don't think he was talking about Frank Howard Field at Memorial Stadium in Clemson. It wasn't that Death Valley. The phrase that uh, was used in ancient times to describe the road down to Jericho where the Good Samaritan came to the rescue of the wounded man, that was called uh, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Um, it was a dangerous place where danger and death were always present. But speaking figuratively, it means life on earth, anywhere and everywhere on earth, because our lives here on earth could be described as an existence overshadowed often by darkness and death. So when the people speak, when the Bible speaks of people living in the land of darkness, I think it might really be talking about you and me sometimes. Back in the summer of 2006, Penny and I got coaxed into going with one of our Sunday school classes to Alaska, led by our fearless leaders, John and Elaine Rush. I found the most fascinating part of the trip the fact that the sun never went down. The further nor north we went, the longer the days would seem, and were actually. The days were so bright that they almost made up for the darkness that John and I brought upon the group with our jokes. In Fairbanks, I stayed up most of the night just so I would see what it looked like to see sun shining on a mountaintop at 2 a.m. It never got dark that night. It was twilight at the darkest. Now this time of year, you couldn't get me to go back to Alaska. In northern Alaska, the sun went down in November and he won't come back till late May or early March. Now that's dark darkness. Sometimes we live seasons in our lives where it's dark dark all around us. It is for those of us whose existence is overshadowed by darkness and death, that the light of Christ has been sent so that we can be enlightened by his life and his love. So today, your name and mine might be Zebulun. Your name might be Naphtali. If so, upon you, God's light is dawning. Sometimes we forget why we're here as a church, don't we? We forget our purpose. We're surrounded by people every day that live in the land of darkness. And each one of us is an acolyte sent by God to take the light of Christ into these dark places where death and destruction reign. We don't really have any other reason to exist as a church, do we, than to make disciples for Jesus Christ? Starting in the nursery, we make disciples. By equipping adults with spiritual resources for life, we're doing the work of making disciples for Jesus Christ. By reaching out in the community to those who are lost or without a church, lonely and grief-stricken, we're making disciples, students, learners for Jesus Christ. Zebulun and Naphtali are right outside our doorways. The kingdom of God has come for them. 
I've always been fascinated by the ways that scholars try to handle the message and translate the message that Jesus and John both proclaimed. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does at hand mean? Most of them translate the Greek word ingidzo, forgotten most of my Greek, but they translate that as a forecast of future events, something that's going to happen one day, 100%, but it hadn't happened yet. God's kingdom is just around the corner. It'll be here most any time, so get ready. But what if Jesus meant something slightly different? What if he meant for that word to be translated not near, but here, already here? That is how the translation, the message, as well as the J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible, translates the message of Jesus, making it this. You must change your hearts, for the kingdom of God has arrived. What difference might it make in our lives right now? What difference does Jesus envision for our lives right now if we, if we stopped expecting a kingdom someday and instead started living as if it was already here in our presence? I think that's exactly what Jesus meant. He as much as said it in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is here within you. That's exactly how the Romans understood it, and that's why they arrested Jesus. He was encouraging people to be loyal, first and foremost, to some entity, some kingdom other than Rome's. You see, I don't think Jesus was promising a future kingdom someday. I believe he was proclaiming that it was already in existence now because God's king was here on earth. And so the message of Jesus was, change your ways of living because the kingdom of God is here now. It is abundantly clear since Jesus didn't try to raise an army that he wasn't interested in building a conventional form of government here on earth. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus told Pilate. He wasn't interested in making Israel an independent state again. He didn't have in mind some kind of theocracy like Iran has been trying to create since 1979. Talk about a scary situation. People ruling over you while claiming to represent Almighty God? I'm sure that's not what Jesus has in mind. He wasn't even talking about a country where the will of the majority was forced upon the minority. Rather, he was talking about you and me as individuals who make our life and our behavior be submissive to, the God, to God's control. Jesus didn't even see the need for existing governments to go away before people started living in God's kingdom now. I'm personally convinced that our secular democracy is the healthiest environment for the kingdom of God to live within, but God's kingdom isn't dependent on any form of earthly government for its existence. God's kingdom is based on the belief that there really is a God who wants us to experience abundant life here on earth, a God who is at work in our lives to bring good out of every bad thing to people who were tired of existing under the old, worn-out way of living, Jesus offered immediate change of fortune based on the fact that now God could be involved in their lives. 
He gave them an entirely new set of laws to follow. Laws like turning the other cheek and loving your enemies. Learning the power of meekness, humility, peacemaking, and mercy. To people who held on to a few possessions with a tight fist, he urged generosity, saying, Give, and it will be given back to you, full and running over. If he were here today to preach to us about our money, he would say, Don't wait on news from Wall Street. Trust in God and give generously. Don't wait for war to end in every corner of the globe. Live in peace with your enemies starting right now. The thing that was different about the early church, especially right after the resurrection, different from us, is that they really believed this kingdom of God stuff. In a time of famine and poverty, early church members gave sacrificially and generously selling their possessions and turning the proceeds over to the church. And together, as a family of faith, they lived higher on the hog than all the other people in the community who suffered through those difficult days. They didn't just barely survive during the hard times. They actually flourished and grew during the hard times because it worked. The kingdom of God works. It worked because they really believed that the kingdom of God had arrived already, and I wish we believed that in our day. The king started his preaching, his teaching, and his healing, and those three emphases have followed the church wherever we've gone. Churches, schools, and hospitals spring up wherever the gospel is preached. And Jesus seemed to sense that all of us needed to be involved in the workings of his kingdom. And so he recruited us as his leaders. He taught some fishermen. And pardon me, Robbie, but if you can teach a fisherman anything, you can teach anybody. He taught some fishermen, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, how to catch people. He taught a tax collector how to catch people to collect people instead of taxes. Some of his disciples were farmers and Jesus taught them to be like patient farmers. Plant seeds of the kingdom of God wherever you go and then you will harvest a great future for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus can use your abilities, whatever they are, in the kingdom of God's work. So today I want to leave this sermon unfinished I want to leave you with an open-ended question. I hope you'll bump your head on this question all week. Now, we all realize that God's kingdom won't come in its fullness until Jesus returns to earth as the final ruler or as we get to heaven, whichever comes first. But we just don't have to wait on that day to start living in the kingdom of God. So, how would your life be different today? If you really believed that God's kingdom had already come and there really is a God who can be involved in your life, what might life be like for you in the kingdom of God? Amen. Amen.